0: Welcome to the Mindful Career Transitions Podcast. This is the show for you if you've had success in your current career, yet you feel like there must be a more fulfilling way to spend your day. Listen in as we share wisdom, career change tips, and expertise on making a mindful transition to a fulfilling and meaningful career. Here's your host, Liesl Teversham. Hello and welcome back everybody. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today as Facebook is a really wonderful resource for me to meet new people I met Jim in an online group and he's agreed to share with us a bit about his journey from one career to another and he's in the middle of or has actually already made that transition and I'm really excited to introduce him so let me tell you about Jim a little bit he's been a story lover as long as he can remember after studying the works of writers like William Shakespeare, James Joyce and Alice Walker, he spent two decades teaching at high schools and colleges in the US and abroad. But what he really wanted was do what, what he really wanted to do was tell stories. He frequently promised himself he'd use school recesses to write every day, but almost never did. And Jim, I think so many of us can identify with that good intention that never actually happened.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: His 2008 marriage and a subsequent relocation made it necessary to abandon the teaching post. He took an office job and suddenly had very little time to write. Actually, it was just the break he needed. A 40-minute train commute twice a day and an hour lunch break were his only guaranteed writing times. This made it necessary to use every minute available, and guess what, within a year, he'd written what he considers his best work to date, an original screenplay called Turning 2 that is currently in development for production in late 2015, and we'll ask Jim about this production a little bit later on. More importantly, he'd developed a discipline and a dedication to his craft he'd never known before. Earlier this year, he decided to abandon the office job completely, and since September 1, has been pursuing storytelling full-time. Jim, that was already so inspiring for me to read your story. Thank you so much for joining us, and very welcome.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, Lisa.
0: Thank you. And you know what? I just realized, in fact, while I was reading the bio, I neglected to mention your surname. So can you just let me know whether it's Jim Malone? Is that how you pronounce it? That's right. Okay, fantastic. So Jim. we're talking to Jim Malone today. I'd love to ask you, Jim, we already heard a little bit about this journey. If you can just share in your own words maybe a little bit about this decision you made going from education to something as scary as completely doing your own thing, writing full time. Would you like to share a little bit about the inner journey and the outer journey? What, what all went on for you?
1: Sure. Uh, the inner journey and the outer journey. Well, let's start with the inner one. Um, you know, like, like you said in, in the introduction, uh, I've loved stories my whole life, um, and, and it, it wasn't a, an intellectual attachment, although there's certainly some attractiveness in the construction of stories and the, the twists and turns of plot that, that can uh, grab my intellect. Uh, but it was always the power that stories had over me, uh, to touch me, to make me feel things, um, and to open me up to, uh, different perspectives and, and different experiences that I probably wouldn't have encountered otherwise, uh, if I only interacted with the world, uh, in, in, in the real world, uh, and stories brought me into places where, where I could, uh, have a bigger life, uh, have a, have a bigger experience here. So, uh, by the time I was a teenager, I was I was already very much interested in the idea of creating um, stories and and bringing stories into the world where I could have that kind of effect on others. Uh, and I, as I got into college and and some of the practical concerns uh, of living uh, were brought into my consciousness by by parents, by teachers, by um, people that love me and wanted the best for me, Uh, and quite often that love and that concern translated into cautionary statements about risky careers and, uh, you know, you want to make sure you have a paycheck and you want to make sure you've got a steady job. And and when I looked at, you know, trying to be a novelist or a storyteller versus being a teacher... uh, was pretty obvious which one was going to be safer and which one was going to have more guarantees as far as employment and and compensation and that sort of thing. And uh, I took the safe route. As I think a lot of artists uh, do. Mm. And uh, and also like a lot of artists, uh, I took a career that encountered and kept me close to the very thing that I love so much. Uh, I studied literature. Uh, and then for 18 years, uh, I taught literature and composition uh, to high school students and college students uh, in a variety of different settings. Uh, So I was always talking about the things that I loved and listening to other people talking about it and revisiting stories. And and as I advanced in my career, I was able to select the stories that we would be discussing. And uh, it it, it became a very uh, comfortable thing because here I was with the things that I loved. Uh, with these stories, uh, and I was um, safe. Uh, and that was sufficient for a number of years until it wasn't. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and what what do you think made it uh, insufficient? Or what was that little thing inside, or maybe a big thing in the, inside that says, this is no longer satisfying me?
1: Well, it was a number of things. Uh, you know, some of the the historical background that you've given in, in the uh, the journey to writing the screenplay for Turning Two, uh, that had something to do with it. But, but part of that was I, I came across a book. Actually, it was brought to my attention by a friend of mine, a fellow artist, uh, a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is really a lovely journey. Uh, into your own creativity and into your own impulses and, and your own desires and your own trajectories. Uh, and, and I went through the experience of that book. Uh, it's not it's not just a book you read. It's a book that you can – there's exercises and there's, there's activities and just so many different uh, wonderful experiences that can come from really engaging with it. And uh, as I went through that, um, I, f- I found that I had certain things – that uh, even though I had been feeding them, you know, kind of the scraps from the table, okay, you can you can talk about stories and you can read other people's stories and you can you can immerse yourself in the world of stories, but you don't make them yourself. Uh, and as I, as I went through this journey in this in the artist way, I realized there was a part of me that was uh, dissatisfied with the state of affairs. And the more attention I gave it, the louder it got. Uh, it really, started to um, clamor for my attention uh, in in the way that I think um, other storytellers might appreciate. I started encountering these story seeds, these, uh, hey, what if this and what if that? Uh, I think that those two words, what if, are quite often the soil for so many stories. Uh, And and one day uh, I was on a train and I was uh, heading into work uh, in New York City. I'm commuting from Long Island. And I had an experience when I was about, oh, 18, 19 years old. I was driving my father's car in my hometown and had stopped at a red light. And when the light turned green and I started to go, uh, something ran out in front of the car just as I got through the next intersection. And I, I hit the brakes and I knew I had stopped in time. Uh, and And I thought it was a dog. And I couldn't see over the, the hood of the car. It was a Chevy Impala, a big, long car. It was just impossible for me to see if, if the dog was still in front of the car. And I sat there for a minute and I hit the horn and people were hitting their horns behind me. And and there was a lot of frustration, people yelling, because why had I gone through the intersection with the green light and then just stopped all of a sudden? They couldn't see why. So I, I was looking on the sidewalk, I was trying to, I just wanted to get a glimpse of this dog someplace safe so that I knew I could start driving, and after a, what was probably only a few seconds, part of my mind said, you know what, it's probably gone, it, you probably just didn't see it, and it ducked between the, the parked cars, and it's in someone's yard now, and it's fine, just go. But this other part of me said, get out and look, and be sure. Mm-hmm. And and I put the car in park, and I got out, and I walked around the front of the car, and there was a 2-year-old toddler in a diaper and a t-shirt standing in front of my car about 18 inches away from the bumper and you can imagine my heart just kind of stopped for a moment and as i he was fine i hadn't hit him he was just standing there looking at the bumper of my car and and he looked up at me and and as i reached to pick him up i heard this woman scream and his mom had turned her back for a moment and the little little tyke had, had scampered out the door and ran out into the street and she came running out and and saw that he was fine but she was still hysterical and crying as the, as you would imagine and and uh she took the child and thanked me and went back in the house and i got in the car and drove home and and i thought it was okay until i saw my dad and as, as soon as he said what happened i just i burst into tears and it just i was overwhelmed by what had almost happened yeah. so fast forward 20 years and i'm on this train oh, almost 30 years actually and uh and that experience went through my head and the what if game came up and you know what if what if it wasn't somebody driving their dad's car what if it was somebody driving a stolen car what if it's somebody that's already kind of in trouble with the law that's driving this stolen car and when he gets out and finds this child here a few cars behind them in that line of cars that's beeping. There's a police car and they're getting out of the car to come up and find out what's going on. And what if the kid's mom doesn't come out the door? What if she's a drug addict that's just out of an overdose in this hallway and nobody knows this kid exists as this man goes on the run with this child. And that's, that's the basis for turning two. It's, it's this man's journey for about a 36 hour period where he's responsible for the welfare of this, this an orphan toddler uh, and and the experience that he has uh, with being responsible for this child has a profound effect on him and, and his way of being in the world uh, so so those kinds of things started coming up like like here was all of a sudden this compelling storyline and I remember when I first stumbled on the idea I still remember where I was sitting on the train and I remember thinking oh my god that's such that That could be a great story. Should I do it as a novel? Should I do it as a screenplay? Should you know, what should I do with this? And then my next thought was, well, but I don't have summers off anymore. I don't have, you know, winter recess and spring break and mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I just don't have the time to really pursue this. And because I had been doing these exercises in the artist' way, in Julia Cameron's book, i I just had this this little thought that just said, why don't you just write the first two pages of it? Hmm. Just do that. I could do that on the train that morning. And the next morning I, I got on the train and, and I wrote a little more. And, and it took about a year uh, to to hammer out the first uh, draft and, and then polish that and, and get to a second and a third draft. And it changed considerably, you know, as, as writing will and as stories will. Uh, but each time it felt like it got better. And then finally I entered it into a, a screenwriting contest the Greater Philadelphia Film Office um, that handles film production in, in the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania uh, they were having a contest called shoot in Philadelphia and I had written the story originally for New York City metro area but I saw that contest and the first prize was ten thousand dollars and I said you know what I could tweak the story a little bit so it's in Philly instead of New York and enter it and see what happens So I did, and was contacted a little while later and told that it had taken the grand prize. Wow.
0: Well, so many uh, thoughts went through my mind as you were telling this, you know, just very inspirational thoughts for for other people who may be looking for their ideal career. And one of them is you were were open to opportunities, like, Mm. okay, so for this prize, it needed to be in a different city, and... um, you took that opportunity, you made it a part of your journey. And then the other thought that came up was how something had happened to you 30 years before. Um, it was almost like it was a seed for your career, but it happened so long ago that, you know, at that time you you said you were 19 years old, I think. Um, yeah. we, we don't even consider that something as emotional, that was a very emotional moment for you. That that could have could lead you to a new new career thirty years down the line. So, it's it's just almost like we have these little breadcrumbs in our lives, that if we pay attention to them, can lead us to incredible places.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: that that is an enormous thought for me. Um, And then I also heard you talk, um, Jim, about the the inner voice that was talking to you. They were the two parts. You know, they were arguing against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, you can. No, you can't. you know, does that voice come up often for artists or for people who are trying to seek their own way in the world?
1: Uh, I, a lot of people I've spoken with about these kinds of things have indicated that kind of struggle is a common one. Uh, I, I've named the two things, uh, and, and the, the names that I've given them uh, might be things that other people would identify with too. I, I think there's a, the intellectual, rational... Uh, often cautionary voice um, of my ego. That's, that's, you know, telling me to only do things that are going to make me look good, only do things that I know I can succeed at. Uh, don't do anything foolish or risky or uh, that might in any way embarrass me. Uh, it's a very safe, cautionary voice. Uh, and I, and I, I refer to that as my ego. And then and then the other part of me is, is my spirit. That's not afraid of anything. That's it's it's. Let's go. Let's let's jump the fence. Let's let's see what's on the other side of that mountain. You know, not never mind climbing the mountain. Let's get past the mountain. What's on the other side of it? And uh, and those two things have been such um, powerful forces. And you know, for a while, I actually thought that I was supposed to uh, really, really just. Follow my spirit and ignore the ego. Uh, And then I came to understand that I think both of these things are integral parts of me. And I think that I that a a really sane and balanced life is going to take into account the counsel of both. Mm. Uh, You know, with with three kids and, and, you know, my wife and I, we have a mortgage. We have financial responsibilities uh, to our children, to our home and our family. Uh, When I decided this earlier this year and this was actually a conversation that had been going on with my wife and I for a couple of years. That you know, I I really think that if I pursued writing now, between the the amount of content that I have, the storylines that I'm ready to pursue, uh, and the discipline and the dedication that I've I've found that I'm capable of, I, I really just think the only missing ingredient here is the time to pursue. And and we had to take a look at some of that. And so of course, those kinds of conversations, you know, we're talking about. Aspirations and dreams, but we're also talking about uh, mortgages and you know, college tuition. So uh, we had to take a look at um, both practical and daredevil kind of stuff, and uh, it was exciting. Uh, it was an exciting journey for me as an artist and for us as a couple, and uh, it's it's not over yet either. You know, we're we're kind of in the middle of it right now.
0: Mm, yeah, it's a sort of a sort of in that transition phase where it isn't settled into the new place yet. Um, Well, you said some really fascinating things, in fact, I got goosebumps as you were talking about the ego and the spirit and and leading, you know, like you said it so nicely, taking, um, taking the advice of both, listening to both of them. Do you find there's a, I don't know if there's an easy way to listen to both of them, because so often I hear people saying, It's my head and my heart so there's the intellectual rational side trying to make the best safe decision to let the body survive and there's the heart that 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 talks about what we love what we are passionate about and where we know Um, it's almost like our talents lie there and, and something our spirit is telling us go that direction have you found a way that that we can listen to both of them and then make the best decision going forward I don't know if there's a recipe
1: well, I've got a little trick that I've I've developed, and, and, and it came out of um, some personal experiences with with just interacting with other people. Uh, you and I talked, um, you know, before we began the call today about uh, conversations really having a life of their own and letting them go where they're going to go. Uh, and I think that by that same token, you know, if, if I'm in a if I'm in a conversation with somebody and and I have a set agenda for where we're going to get to, uh, I'm probably going to be less than gentle and kind in the way that I'm going to talk with the other person if they start straying from that agenda, Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, I've decided we have to get to, you know, to this particular point B, and they might have a different point B in mind, and and what happens, what works best in those interpersonal uh, communications is when I've got an idea about where I want to go, but I, I stay as open as I can to where you want to go and and really try to honor and respect that you've got good reasons for wanting to go there. That even if I don't understand them, I still need to respect them. And even if I don't agree with them, I still need to honor them and, and listen to them. And then I, I brought that kind of dynamic into, okay, when my when that, that fearful, doubtful, over, over-cautious voice starts to speak, I don't want to hammer it down and... and tell it to be quiet i want to listen to it I want, so so i try to step into my spirit and say tell me why you're scared what is it that you're scared of and and what is it that that i can do to help you deal with that stuff and then by the same token when when my spirit is like let's just quit our job and you know go write the great american novel there <laughs> <they're, laughs> <they're, laughs> it's like that's great you know I can remember my dad talking to me when I had some you know these wild aspirations as a a young man and the way that he would listen to me and he would he would say you know that's wonderful that you have that passion that's great and and you want to pursue that but you also want to make sure that you're looking at you know how are you going to do that Uh, and one of the really nice things about uh, my wife and I and, and, and our marriage is she is very practical and And I am very flighty, I guess you you would Mm. call it. So we've got that nice balance within our marriage, too. And and to be fair, and this is something that she's helped me see, too, I also have my practical side and she has her dreamer side. It's not we're not black and white in those things, but our personalities are, are a little more slanted one way or the other way. So we find that in our conversations, especially things that are going to affect our family overall, uh, when we really listen to each other and encourage each other, you know, well, why do you feel that way? And let's look at that and let's 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 explore all of it. Uh, so when I do that with with my ego and my and my uh, and my spirit, um, don't look at either one of them as good or bad, but that they're both necessary parts of the conversation. And I, I need to to really open up to them
0: hmm wow Jim that is really profound wisdom that you've shared with us today Um, and I just really think it is such a different place that we can um, come to if we listen to both sides and there's probably sometimes more than two sides sometimes we have three voices or four voices each with a different perspective and if we can not bash them and say, shush, you know, be quiet, I don't want to hear you, <laughs> but encourage them and say, tell me more. What else? What what else is going on for you? We bring it all into the light. And when mm-hmm. things are in the light, we can face them and we can figure out what to do. But when they shove down there in the dark, it's very hard to make sense of it all.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think uh, a, a friend of mine... Um, shared with me a couple of years ago that the the things that are boiling up inside of us, uh, it's kind of like you can put a lid on a pot, uh, but it doesn't keep it from coming out. Uh, It just oozes out over the side or it blows the top off or uh, sooner or later, I'm going to have to deal with what's boiling in there, or I'm going to have to find a way to turn the stove off. And, and the truth is when, when we're talking about art, when we're talking about uh, our, our careers uh, and really, I mean, we can, we can, use words like jobs and careers and all those things but we're talking about our lives yeah. we only get to do this once yeah. as far as we know I mean maybe there's more but you know as, as far as I can see and, and put my hands on this is not a dress rehearsal
0: correct yes this, this is, is for real yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so so find ways to make the absolute most of this this one that we are aware of right now right mm. Oh, my goodness, Jim, so inspiring. I want to ask you another thing about creative pursuits and this big word fear. You know, we, we heard the ego can mm. um, come in sometimes and tell us not to because it's risky. And, you know, what if it, it has its own version of what if and it's not usually the pleasant what ifs. Mm-hmm. How have you found fear um, playing into the creative pursuits and writing and, and a new career for you?
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, I, I had an experience some years ago. With um, I was driving uh, an old beat-up car that I had in in a snowstorm in upstate New York, and I didn't have very good tires on it. This was at a, a kind of uh, challenging time in my my young adulthood, and I had uh, I, I was going down this road and. All of a sudden, the tires um, started sliding on this road, and I was going down this this slight hill, and it was a bit of, cur- of curve at the bottom. And I'm turning the wheel, but the car wasn't responding to me turning the wheel. It was continuing to go straight. Unfortunately, it was just a snowbank there that I ended up sliding into it at like you know, very slow speed. I, it wasn't a it wasn't a horrible collision or anything like that. But I took something away from that that I had never encountered before. I, I had the, the usual, if you've ever been in, in a car when the tires start to slip or something like that, you, th- that feeling in your belly oh. uh, and, and your heart starts to beat and, and it just feels like everything just goes kind of liquid. Oh. and, <laughs> and <laughs> Scary. Yeah. And and the thought that came as I pulled out of the snowbank and started driving, um, I had actually been thinking I, w- I was dating someone at the time, and we were having problems with the relationship. The relationship it turned out was actually coming to an end. Uh, and I, I had been convinced that I was, I was so in love with this person. I'm so in love with them. I, I love this woman so much. And, and we've got to make this work. And all of a sudden, as I'm backing out of this, this snowbank, I realized that feeling that I have. That's, that's the feeling that I usually have when I'm with her. And that's, that's not love. That's fear. And and it was really strange that I was attracted to someone that was kind of a wild child and, and, uh, they had that, that flighty spirit too. And every time we were together, you you never really knew what was going to happen next. So, and I, and I was mistaking fear for love. Uh, so that kind of, that became like a kindergarten experience for some lessons I learned in the years that followed about, I can often mistake things for fear, or I can mistake fear for other things. Uh, and one of the things that I encountered when I was looking at this uh, this creative journey and this this creative career was, uh, I was I was talking to a friend of mine, and and I was expressing some what I thought was fear. Uh, you know, what what about this and what about that? And and I said, you know, I, I I've got to get rid of this fear so that I can I can function better. And he said to me. You know, I've been listening to you talk and this actually sounds like excitement. Mm -hmm. This sounds like you're really like all of these questions aren't things you're shying away from. These are questions. These are uncertainties, but they're uncertainties that are drawing you, not not repelling you. And. When we're drawn toward uncertainty, that's usually because of excitement. Like, hey, let's get on that roller coaster. Hey, let's <laughs> let's go into this dark cave over here. Let's let's get in this boat and see if we really do fall off the edge of the world. You know, <laughs> there's wow. uh, that that sometimes you know, the physical reaction inside my body, my heart racing and my stomach doing flip flops, is the same when I'm excited and passionate about something as it is when I'm afraid. Hmm. Uh, and that really kinda helped me start tapping into that stuff. That that when I get a physical reaction now, I no longer say, Oh, I know what that is. I, I give it time. Well, maybe it's fear, but maybe it's excitement and maybe it's maybe it's something else entirely that I haven't named yet.
0: Wow, that is so powerful. And I like how You know, the title of this podcast podcast is Mindful Career Transitions. And that's what often I think we're missing when we make a decision is that mindful bit of just giving it time and not just rushing in and really listening to what's going on here and sitting with it. Mm -hmm. So that is what I'm hearing you say is that mindful listening to the feeling that we get because it always has a message. But we may get the message wrong if we're not listening carefully.
1: Yeah. And I think another um, thing that I've come to understand about fear is I tend to I tend to get tangled up with fear more often when I'm wrestling with questions about what should I do?
0: Yeah.
1: And less when I ask myself the question, who should I be? Oh, Because if I if I go to that question, who should I be? And and get some direction from From those different parts on on the inside, from the ego, from the spirit, from the intellect, from all all those different voices, and and get a sense of, yes, this is who I am, and this is what I believe, and this is how I want to be in the world. Then from that, I find my way into decisions and actions that make sense for that man. Ra- rather than trying to, what should I do? Because when I wrestle with questions about what should I do, I quickly get attached to what will other people think of that.
0: Oh, yes. And that can lead to so much fear and anxiety because now we're trying to make or please other people, which can never happen all of the time.
1: Right. And, and when I realized um, some years ago that uh, the question of who, who am I, who am I supposed to be here, you know uh, Martha Martha Graham or Marsha Graham I can't remember her first name she had a quote uh, she said something years ago and I'm going to I'm going to misquote her mm-hmm. but I'll do the best I can with the first couple lines of it she said something along the lines of there there's a life force a quickening that is translated through you into action and because there's only one of you in all time that expression is unique and if you don't serve that impulse the world doesn't get to have it. And coming to understand that, you know, of all of my responsibilities uh, to my wife, to my kids, to my employer, to my readers, to, to everybody, that I will fulfill those roles so much better if I first get really clear on my responsibility to that impulse, that, that divine spark within me that that was set in motion 48 years ago and 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 is continuing to try to express itself today.
0: Well, you know what? Oh boy, maybe our listeners can hear it, but I've got tears in my eyes because that is a quote I first read in a book um, not very long ago, maybe a month ago, where I think it was, oh, now I've forgotten the author, Rick Jarrow, I think, who was... Who, who wrote a book about careers and how we go on a journey through the chakras. And this may mm. be language that people are not familiar with, but they may be. And and that quote was so, it, it took my breath away. And I couldn't believe it when you were able to <laughs> to quote it right today. It is so powerful when we can realize that the world is going to be so much poorer if we don't come forth with our special, unique very own gift to the world. It's it, the world will not have it if we don't come forth with it. So, oh, my word, how magnificent!
1: And the 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 understanding as well that that was given to me by a friend a few years ago. That uh, if I try to be somebody other than who I am in order to please others, then I'll I'll never really experience love and acceptance. Because even if people show love and acceptance I'll know in my heart of hearts that you don't love me you love the sham that I'm putting out here yeah the only way I can know that I'm loved and accepted is to show up as me mm. warts and all <laughs> you know there's there's good there's bad people that know me I'm, I'm, you know we're, we're all human we, yeah. we have the upsides and the downsides but um you know to, to be able to do that uh, and to not be afraid to do that because the alternative to to be phony or to to be less than genuine in, in who I am uh, all that's going to do is just generate more more tension and more fear uh, because once I establish that that illusion you know for you to to approve of now I have to maintain it and then I then I'm frustrated with myself for selling out, and I'm frustrated with you for not seeing the real me, and and it just it just leads to so many problems. It
0: certainly does. It's very powerful. Just be yourself. There's a quote by Oscar Wilde. Don't know if you've heard it. That says, "Be yourself. All others are taken."
1: Yeah, I just saw it the other day, I, I came across it again, that's a good one.
0: It's so lovely, and you just reinforced it in your own beautiful words. I have to tell you, I'm so glad that you are following the storytelling path, because I can hear the absolute talent and gift that you have for it. You've got a magnificent way of telling stories, and it it's captivating, so I'm so glad you're following this uh, career, Jim, to give the world this gift, because it's it's beautiful to listen to a lovely story, and... An inspiring world. It's it's really inspiring. So I'd love to ask you. Then we only have a couple minutes left. I don't know where the time went, but um, if you can share with us about this production of yours that is in Mm -hmm. in the making, and I do believe that you um, may be looking for some investors and people to get in, um, sort of involved on different levels. Would you like to share with us for a?
1: uh, Sure, Uh, we have. We've been working on this for a couple of years now, uh, and the the two independent producers, uh, Sybil Santiago and Rachel Brenna, that are working on the project with me, um, we put our heads together a while ago, and we realized that uh, to get an independent film off the ground, you need two things. You need uh, a dynamite cast so that um, the film will actually get picked up by distributors and, and get seen by the world, because... It's easy to make a movie these days. It's it's tough to get one out into the world. So you need a dynamite cast, but then you also need financial investors. And when you approach uh, actors these days, they quite often say, well, what what kind of investors do you have? And when you approach investors, they say, well, what kind of cast do you have signed up yet? And everybody's waiting for somebody else to make the move. Uh, but we found uh, we got a, a wonderful break just recently. Um, Judy Henderson, who is the casting director for uh showtime's uh series homeland which is very popular and it's on um uh, on tv for a number of years now and she won an emmy award a couple of years ago for her casting directing work uh for that series she has read the script and is in love with the story and is really excited to bring aboard talent so having her now signed onto our team really means that we're going to be able to reach into pools of, of acting talent uh so it really is now a matter of um I try not to pound the pavement. I think the pavement's been pounded enough, but I'm caressing the pavement. I'm <laughs> massaging the pavement. Whatever you need to do with the pavement to to drum up interest. Um, our website uh, is uh, www.turningtothemovie.com. That's all spelled out: turning to t w o, turning to uh, is where you, um, anybody that wants to get involved in the film can find out more. Uh, we We are engaging local community businesses um, that have already been helping with contributions of uh, locations where we can shoot, uh, with transportation, with uh, catering to feed, cast, and crew when we're on set, and doing as much as we can to really offset production costs. Uh, It is uh, a low-budget film. Uh, it, it's, uh, going to be made for a million dollars or less, um, already we're, we're looking at less because of the community partnerships that we've been able to form with, with, with different companies. And, uh, and we're excited. Uh, I think that it's, it's really just a matter of the right, uh, the right people, uh, seeing this. Um, uh, it is a story also that, um, it involves a man with a drug addiction and we've been in touch with, uh, Professionals in the treatment industry that have also read the script and they think that it would be a wonderful tool uh, in treatment settings uh, To be able to work with people that are encountering their own demons with drug addiction and substance abuse to help them see um, It's not a story about a guy that gets clean and sober, but it is a story about someone that has that problem and as the result of some acts of love and service on behalf of others uh, he finds some fundamental shifts taking place within him. And a day or two into this journey, he realizes, wow, I haven't had the desire to, to smoke or drink or, or do any of the things I've been doing, which fits in with a lot of uh, treatment um, philosophy and 12-step philosophy and, and uh, different uh, things in the recovery community about uh, not just changing the, beha- the drug and the alcohol use behavior, but the fundamental shifts inside that need to take place for, for people to really realize uh, long-term change. So, uh, so people that believe in that kind of mission might want to help us uh, get this story out there too. And, and, uh, we're, we're moving forward with the, the belief that, uh, the universe loves artists and the universe has lots of money.
0: So. <laughs> I can't agree with you more, Jim. We see money every day. It's just maybe in in the places that we want to see it, it's not there yet. So it's gonna. Um, h- how do they say? Where is the money gonna come from? For, from wherever it is right now, that's where it's
1: gonna come go. from. So,
0: <laughs> well, it's 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 what I love about this movie is not only is it playing into your talents and strengths and your storytelling abilities, but it's also gonna do such good in the world. So that is a magnificent coming together of of many different um, good and uplifting things. Jim, it was an incredible conversation. Wow, I'm just so blown away by how the conversation went. And, you know, we just met each other and it can go to such deep places. So thank you for your beautiful sharing and and inspiration. Um, Is there any last two words that you want to say or a last little tip or a... Something that, we, that our listeners can take away with uh, with him today.
1: Uh, the only thing that I that I suggest to my fellow artists is um, try to get quiet each day, because the artist within us, I don't think yells and screams. I think it talks to us very softly, and we have to get quiet to hear it. Oh,
0: beautiful, beautiful wisdom. Get quiet every day, and I think not only the artist, but every single person on earth can do with some of that quiet space where the little voice talks, the spirit. Jim, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, this was incredible.
1: Thank you, Liesel.
0: And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. And if you need help with finding a career that you'll adore and love, please contact me through the website SavvySelfGrowth.com. Remember, a fulfilling career is a journey that involves the wisdom of your heart. It may take a little time, yet the rewards are so incredible. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For other inspiring guests and articles on career change and the notes of today's show, be sure to visit SavvySelfGrowth.com. Download your free gift while you're there. Thank you for sharing this show with a friend. Remember, a mindful career transition is a journey that involves the wisdom of the heart.